Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Well, a great welcome to you if you're listening to us on the King's Cast. We're reading from Exodus chapter 1, the story of uh, Moses and his birth. And we'll read a bit of chapter 2, of course. You might know that the, the book of Exodus picks up where the Israelites are having a lot of children. Pharaoh is nervous about the boys being born. He wants them exterminated. And uh, as part of his political plans to oppress the Israelites. And we pick it up, verse 15, Exodus 1, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. And did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women, not like Egyptian women, they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased. And became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile. But let every girl live. Chapter 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed a child in it and put it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile. His sister as Miriam, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, means to draw out, saying, I drew him out of the water. And one day, verse 11, 
after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. We'll end the reading there. The title of my message this morning is this. Help! My children aren't saved. Help! My children aren't saved. Or you change that to my children aren't on fire for God. Or my children aren't walking with the Lord, brackets, in the way that I would like them to, close brackets, whatever uh, title you want to give. I want to talk about the role of the parent and the, just the whole, the whole attitude of a parent when their children are not uh, on fire for God or maybe not anywhere near the kingdom of God, what should a parent, a mother, a father do? And by the way, you can uh, widen this to think about your husband or your wife or your mum or your dad, you know, etc. But we're particularly thinking about, about children today. There'll be people listening to this, of course, who don't have children of their own and it's a source of angst for them, a real source of sadness for them. But I draw your attention to what happened at the end of Exodus chapter 1 where it says, because the midwives feared God, he gave them children of their own. And I think that should be an encouragement to many people uh, that God is a God who, who answers prayer. And throughout the Bible, whenever a child came late, whenever someone had to really pray through having children. Think about someone like Hannah in Samuel or, or Elizabeth in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Whenever a child really had to be contended for to just to even be born, uh, that child was always something very special. And children that come later are often something very special. And so I want to encourage all would-be mums with that. Uh, sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. For more numerous uh, uh, are the children that come from that womb, the Bible says. And God can answer prayer. Fear the Lord and ask him, make your joy complete. Help! My children are not saved. I want to look at the story of this wonderful lady. Uh, whose name, by the way, if I pronounce it right, is um, Yochaved. Yochaved. We find that out a little bit later on uh, in the Bible. I want to look at the principles of what this, sim- this simple act of hiding the child, putting him in the river, then getting him back, and, and all the things that this wonderful lady did that I believe are prophetic and also, of course, principled uh, ideas for us, as we want to see our children come to know Jesus for themselves and, and, and become on fire for him. Many children put their hand up at a meeting and maybe even be baptized, but they're, 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 there can be a sense in which, no, no, we, they haven't quite got it all. We want them to be on fire for the Lord. So, very simply, I have four little principles from the story that should encourage all mothers, fathers, And all those who want to see young people, children, be on fire for God, not just waste their lives in this world, but to serve the kingdom of God in their their generation. Are you ready? If you're ready, say aye. Okay. The first one. 
What do we learn from the story of Yochaveth? It's this. Number one, you have to let go of your children in order to get them back. Is that what happened in the story? She hides him. And uh, you just get that sense. She saw that he was a fine boy, the Bible says, right? A fine boy. I don't know any mother who didn't think that their son was not a fine boy. I don't know any mother. If, if, uh, uh, if I go to my parents' house, uh, in my old uh, mum's room, there are pictures of me everywhere. It's freakish. Really. You go in there, there's just pictures of me in there. Looking thin, fat, young, old, hair black, hair white, you know, all sorts of colors. And uh, I don't really love too many of these pictures, but it showed my mum loved me, doesn't it? I was a fine boy. Never mind Brad Pitt. I was the most handsome guy uh, in my mum's life. Even my father couldn't compete with me. Maybe my brother could sometimes, you know. But, you know, uh, she thought he was a fine boy. And uh, so she hid him. He was just the best. So she hid him. She hid him. For three months, no one saw him. And so we begin to see straight away that, that protective bit that's inside a parent. I, I, I mustn't let them go out. You know, oh, I'm just going down the shop. Where are you going? What time are you going to be back? You, know, you, you have that in her straight away. What are you doing? Who are you friends with on Facebook? Why are you phoning such a person? And that great protection bit that kind of kicks in um, with a parent. But eventually, she realizes, and of course she's under, the boy's under threat of his life. He's not just under threat of going to the wrong pub or meeting the wrong girlfriend or something like that. He's under threat of his life. Eventually, Yochaveh gives up and says, okay, I am going to have to give him away. I'm going to have to not know where he is. I'm going to have to, oh, the, the pain of it, but I'm going to have to not know everything about my child. I'm going to have to not know where they are. I'm going to have to not know what friends they've got, etc. Uh, as, as best as was possible. And she lets the child go. It reminds us, doesn't it, of the story in Luke 15 of the father who says, okay, you want your inheritance now? Here it is. And he lets the child go. Now, let's just be careful. Of course, the Bible is not telling us to endorse, encourage, all manner of wild living in our kids. I'm not suggesting that at all. But you'll know as a parent, you'll know this, that there is a bit where you, that protection bit, and there has to be that sense, it'll come one day where you have to kind of let them go. You have to stop giving them 20 quid and say, I'll give you this if you come to church. You're going to have to stop doing that. Or at least come to cap money so you know how to budget that. You have to stop saying, look, I tell you this, I'll do this deal if you'll come to this Christian rock concert. You know, but you, you, there comes a point where you have to find out as a parent, as you well know, that you cannot uh, put your children under remote control and you go left, you go right, you go back, you go forwards, you say this, you don't say that. They are free, aren't they? Am I telling the truth? Come on now, preach with me. They are free. 
And there comes a point where she let the child go. It didn't mean that she didn't love Moses. And by the way, she didn't even call him Moses, did she, right? He, she had another name for him. But it didn't mean that she didn't love Moses. It didn't mean she was a bad mother. It didn't mean that at all. And it doesn't mean you're a bad dad or a bad mum when you begin to let your children go and say, okay, if this is the life, you know, that you want to lead, if this is what you want to do, I may not approve of everything, but I'm not going to be following you around in a car, wondering where you are. There's nothing worse than a teenager coming out of some place with their mates and they see their mum or dad in a car on the other side of the road with a camera. It's not helping. It's not helping. I remember one time I, I was running a youth group down in Torquay and I've never shared this story before. And I remember one time there was a couple in my youth group and, they'd, and they fell in love. They were 17, 18 years old and they were in love. So they used to talk to each other on the phone in the days when people had to use, you know, a big phone, not, not, a, not a mobile phone. And so they were on the phone together. And they used to ring each other all the time and speak for hours. And one time, the guy or the girl told the other one a joke on the phone. And it was a really funny joke. It was so funny that the mother, who was listening upstairs on the other phone, laughed with them. Note to self, do not do that. Well, I love my son. Yeah, you loved him so much, he hates you now for spying on him. Come on. Come on. She had to let him go. But look what happened when she let him when she let him go. She got him back. And I believe the Holy Spirit might want to say that to some people here and some people listening to this. You let them go and you get them back. It's a principle. Now, as we'll see as we get to point 2, there is some things you still have to do. But you have to give up the remote control. If we had an altar call here today, I would ask all the mums and dads to come to the front with their remote controls. Take the batteries out, throw them away, and put them on the altar. And say, okay, God, I want you to have control, because I sure can't. There isn't a battery powerful enough in Maplins or in Tesco Extra to control my kids. There's no remote control that can do it. Only God can do it. She let him go. And she got him back. Sometimes, if you hold on to something so much, and you'll know this as parents, they want to rebel. They don't like being handcuffed to you. So the more you handcuff them, sometimes the more they want to break out. The more they want to break out. I'm not suggesting this should be done at five years old or ten years old. But, but, they, but there comes a time, and some mums and dads, they face the time at different times in the development of their kids. Where they have to say, you know what, I'd better just not follow them anymore. I want to follow them. I want to know where they're going. But I can't. Now they have to lead their own life. They have to make their own mistakes. And I would stop them. And that's what comes from being a parent. You would do anything to prevent them having the pain that you had many times. But you have to say, Lord, do you know what? I'm just, I'd like to be God, but I can't be God. I can't stop them doing things. I can't make them have the right friends and all those sorts of stuff that sometimes parents like to do. 
I have to say, Lord, I, I want to let them go. And that's what takes us to number two. When we say we let them go, what we mean is we give them over into the care of God by prayer. You should pray for your children. You must pray for your children. In front of your children, you should lead a godly, Christian, God-fearing life. A God-fearing life. That's what defines Christian living in the end of Exodus chapter 1. Because the midwives feared God. So we must fear God in front of our, in front of our children. We were talking in Aspire where I was the strange guest speaker the other day. I only came in for a latte and ended up teaching for an hour, but that's what happens, I guess. But um, we were talking about the act of dedication. You know, when we have dedications, when we dedicate babies and young people to the Lord as an act of dedication. And, and someone said, it wasn't me, but somebody said, actually, isn't the truth that the only real way to have our children dedicated to the Lord is if we are dedicated to the Lord? How can you dedicate a child to the Lord if you're not dedicated to the Lord? How does that work? Like reproduces like. It's very strange, isn't it, to think that you could, a man and a woman could come together and produce a giraffe. It's not possible you produce another human. And listen, listen to me, hear the word of the Lord. One dedicated parent and another dedicated parent produce a dedicated child. It's not the act of dedication that produces a dedicated child. It's the fact that that dedication that we do is just one part of those parents' journey in living out their lives before their children dedicated to the, to the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? You want to have children that are dedicated? You must be dedicated. And I don't mean in a ceremony. I mean daily. We must be dedicated people. To produce dedicated children. I can't be, I can't even be the pastor of a church that's dedicated to the Lord. If I am not dedicated to the Lord, we produce what we are. Like produces like. Go forth and multiply, God told Adam and Eve. And they produce like unto themselves. It's the same today. But what she did, she committed Moses, as we'll call him. Who knows what he was called then? He might have been called Fred to her. But she committed Moses to the river. Now, of course, it was the River Nile. And he ended up in the, um, in the reeds. It's hard to know if she put him in the reeds and he moved or whatever. But in all the movies, you always see them. You always see the, you know, the little child. And they call it the Moses basket, don't they? Going down the river. And it's just an amazing picture to me, a prophetic and inspirational picture of putting our children into the hands of God. The river in scripture is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And I just love the idea of, okay, I can't keep him. I can't remote control her. I can't keep following her or him around. I can't live their lives for them. I have to give them over to God but I'm not just going to let them go. I'm going to put them in the river by prayer. I'm going to put them in the river of God, which to me is a symbol of the will of God. That's what happened here. She put Moses in the water and the river took him to where he needed to be. It's, a, it's an astonishing story. 
Before he was ever born, God had purposed that Moses would be raised by those of the Egyptian household. Before he was ever born, uh, to, to borrow the, uh, the, the phrase from that little wonderful movie from DreamWorks a few years ago, he was destined to be the prince of Egypt. He was destined to stand up to Pharaoh and lead the people out. But part of that journey for Moses was that he would be raised in that Egyptian household. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did. He took that boy, moved him down the river and took him to exactly where he needed to be. But listen to this. For the period where Yaakov put him in the water to the period where he arrived in that, uh, in that area near where Pharaoh's daughter was, there was incredible uncertainty. Incredible uncertainty. So much so it says Miriam was looking to see what would happen. A is fine and B is great, but the bit in the middle is terrible. Your children are going to serve the living God as you commit them to God. He'll break in upon their lives, but until he does, of course, you live in this terrible, uncertain period, as, as deeply distressing and as uncertain as if they were a baby in a river just being washed away. It looks like they're out of control. It looks like life is knocking them this way and that. Hear the word of the Lord today from the prophet of God. It might look like they're being thrown this way and that by just random chance. But if you will pray for them, God will take final and ultimate control of their lives. And you'll find he'll do things and it looks like they've gone the wrong way. But in fact, God is taking them to a certain place. It looks like they've made a big mistake and this is terrible. But God is going to teach them something through it. If you will commit them to God in prayer. We are not trusting in fate. We are not trusting in the fact that we read them a Bible story one day. We are trusting them into the hands of God. And that incredible well, I'm, I want to call it today the river of God's will, but I'm also going to call it from a practical point of view looking at it, it's a river of dreadful uncertainty. You think she's doing wonderfully and then she meets some guy and you think, what's she doing? Or you think he's doing well, but then he meets up with some young guy or decides to do this. You think, oh Lord, what's happening? This wasn't what I planned for them at all. But will you entrust them? Will you entrust them to that river? That river of God's amazing will, but that river of also the most dreadful uncertainty. It looks out of control. It looks random. It looks like catastrophe could come at any time. The river would have taken Moses maybe near some rocks. But you, by prayer, wrap them in tar and pitch. And what happened? That river took him right where he needed to be. Even things that look like the wrong thing took him to where he needed to be. This is what the Lord says to you. As you pray, help, my children are not on fire for God. If you pray, I promise you, his wonderful river will take them where they need to be. Number three, you care for your children on God's behalf. I want to pick up something she says. In verse 9 and 10, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, 
and I will pay you. It's a wonderful God having the last laugh story, isn't it? You know, she lets him go, she gets him back. And she says, oh, just go find some Hebrew woman, presumably a random choice, but yet in God's providence and power, of course, the child's very mother is brought in to nurse him. He's protected. She even pays the woman to do it. Hip, hip. Yeah. Amazing. The Lord was good to her, wasn't he? The Lord was good to her. But I want to pick up just this thought. Take the child and nurse him for me. Just a simple reminder to all parents and would-be parents and future parents. In that act of dedication, and some children have had that dedication, some have not. But in that act of dedication, what we're really doing is we're giving them back to God. We're actually, and in a sense, we're not giving them back to God. We're simply acknowledging that they are God's. They're God's possession. Our children belong to the Lord. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. Children don't belong to the devil. They belong to God. Our children don't belong to the world. They belong to the kingdom. And they belong to God. God made our children. We may have had some hand in it. But God is the creator of all things. I don't know how to differentiate. Maybe a man and a woman create the physical side. But it, nevertheless, God is the one who creates the spirit inside a person. What is it who Job says? The spirit of God has breathed in me and given me life. Without the breath of God, there is no life. The breath that's in all people, people who love God and hate God, is all given by God. The breath I'm breathing now is given to me by my God at birth. And the spirit inside me, not the Holy Spirit, but my spirit is a separate creation of God. Separate creation. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You just asked my mum. God created your son or your daughter or your son and daughter or your daughters or your sons. He made them. They belong to him. And hear the word of the Lord from the mouth of Pharaoh's daughter. Take this child and nurse him or her for me. The children we have are God's possession. They're not even our possession. They ultimately belong to him. The same as we ultimately belong to him. So it's not a big point. It's nothing much to say except just to remind us. That little boy Moses in that water, he belonged to God. He didn't just belong to the mother or to, or to the sister or the father. He belonged to God. Belong to God. It's very interesting that we don't read of Moses' father in the story. You ever thought about that? Later on, we, we learn his name. So it's not like he died. Perhaps he had. But it was the mother. There's just something about a mother, isn't there? Can the mother say amen? There's just something about a mother. Who knows the power of God's will on her life. Who knows how to pray. Who knows how to obey God. 
the father seemed to play no, no part in this. And maybe, because the father was not there, maybe he had died. We just do not know. But maybe there's something in the fact of a single mother. And you don't have to be divorced or separated to be a single mother in a sense. She was in a sense a single mother, acting singly at least, for the good of her child. That somehow allowed God to be even more involved in it. Lord, I can be his mother, but you are going to have to be his father now. The child belongs to God. Our children belong to God. We care for them in his name, on his behalf. It's all for him. So we, we better do as good a job as we can. Finally, when they are old, they will go out and serve the Lord. Look at verse 11, chapter 2. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were he watched them at their hard labor and then the story begins and this fight he has and it begins the whole story if you like of Moses we know from the book of Acts chapter 7 that when it says Moses had grown up you know how old that was 40 now I know we're all hoping our children will grow up by the time they're 14 40 he was 40 40, when this began. I just want to make a very simple point to encourage you. Many of the children of people listening to me now are going to become mighty men and women of God. But let me tell you this, that at the moment, they have not yet grown up. It's so simple. And mom, dad, I just want to, I want to encourage you, wherever you are listening to this, you can pull your hair out. You can wonder, why hasn't God moved on them yet? I'm telling you the answer today, free of charge. They have not yet grown up. When they have grown up, they will go out and they will serve the Lord. And one of the dangers is we want them to grow up as fast as possible. This guy was 40 before this happened. Now, we know of many young people, and thank God, who get on fire for God in their teens. If you are in your teens and you are not on fire for God, you are wasting your life. There is no time to to, uh, lose. You should get on fire for God as soon as you can. Happened to me when I was 18. I wish it had happened to me when I was 14. But there does come a point when Moses grows up. And when he grows up, he serves the Lord. Mum, Dad, listen to me. You can't make that happen faster than it's going to happen. You can sneakily buy them a Bible for every birthday. Look, this one's a different color. You can sneakily say, oh, we're going to go and see Justin Bieber tonight. If he shows up, of course. And 
Oh, no, oh, sorry. Did I say Justin Bieber? Oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean Justin Bieber. I meant this a Christian rock uh, concert. Oh, thanks, Dad. You can do that all you like. You could do all that. Oh, why don't you come along and let's, you know, there's a group of guys playing sport, and when they shut, they're, they're all learning biblical Hebrew. I thought this was football. Well, it is sort of football. We play Sabutia at the end. Lord, move on. Oh, Lord, why aren't, they, why aren't they on fire? Like this other one's on fire. My kid's 20. These kids are 20. They're on fire for God. Why isn't my kid who's 20 on fire for God? Because at the moment they haven't grown up. That's it. But when they grow up, they will serve the Lord. You can, you can guarantee it. You can go to the bank on this. If you will pray for them. Your prayer is like the tar and pitch of the basket. If you will put them in the river of God's amazing will. That's what it looks like to God. But to you it just looks like uncertainty all the way. And what's going to happen next? Ah, they're going near the rocks. Ah! Oh no, they haven't. Oh, praise God. Lord, give me strength for next weekend now. I know what I'm talking about. If you will do it, if you will remember that they actually belong to God, not, not, not you. It's his responsibility as well as yours. Then you will find that when they grow up, whenever that is, they will go out, verse 11, and they will serve the Lord. So I wonder how many remote controls need to be stripped of their batteries that just don't work anyway today. I wonder how many of us need to say, Lord, I want to thank you. My son, my daughter is going to be mightier than I have been. My son, my daughter, my children are going to serve the Lord in a way that I have not been able to do. They will be greater than I. Just as Jesus said to his disciples, the things that I have done, you will do also, and greater things will you do than I have done. But if you won't dedicate yourself, don't expect it to happen to them. Dedicate yourself. I dedicate myself. And cover them in the tar and pitch of prayer. And begin to understand that if they haven't yet caught the flame of heaven after all this prayer after all this bashing them on the head with the King James you just have to say well Lord right now they haven't grown up but when they grow up the devil had better watch out God bless you for listening Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.